my name is Christian. I'm one of the pastors here at New Philly. I thought y'all had over 100 people here. What's going on? They don't, they don't look that packed today. Looks like uh, there's about 85 of you here. It's 101. It's 101? Oh, okay. All right. Oh, there's a few in the back hiding. Okay, I didn't see them. All right, I haven't been here at Itaewon. How many of you guys, you've never heard me preach live before? You've never heard me preach? All right. All right, lower your hands. All right, yeah, I haven't been here for a while because uh, uh, we really wanted to raise up the, the local preaching pastors here at our Itaewon campus. And also just uh, following the leading of the Spirit, we want to build up this, uh, this particular New Philly church plant. Uh, really building up the local leadership here. Uh, and so it's been a while, but I'm glad to be here with you today. And not only am I here, but the Holy Spirit's here. Amen? Amen. When the Holy Spirit's present, Jesus does this thing here. He does this ministry. So prepare your hearts for whatever the Lord has in store for you today. Because I cannot guarantee that you will feel comfortable the entire time. But whether it's comfort or discomfort, what the Lord does, He does to bless us. He does to make us strong in His might, to make us strong in our faith, that we may live out this life of faith that He's called us to live. Turn to Numbers chapter 6. I'm going to read today's passage from Numbers chapter 6, verses 23 to 27. And Aaron and I, we just want to say that we are so proud of all of the Itaewon leadership here. We're so proud of the wonderful job that our leaders, our small group leaders, our community group leaders, our pastors, they're doing a fantastic job. All all the newcomers, people who are new, are you getting discipled? Amen. Amen? Amen. All right. Then you guys are doing a good job. I want to confirm and affirm. And all the leaders, we're, we were so proud, though. Uh, the worship team, the uh, service team, everyone who's serving here at the Itaewon campus. I just want to say how proud of you guys, proud of uh, you we are. And that God is continuing to build up this site here, our church plant here in Itaewon. He's building this campus up to do mighty works in the city. To really display the glory of God in the city. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look at Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, verse 23 to 27. Actually, I'm going to start from verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace and give you peace. So shall they be put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Amen. And at the end of many church services, the pastor will close the service with what is called a benediction. Everybody say benediction. Benediction. 
And this tradition is rooted in the Old Testament. The benediction was an essential element of Israel's corporate worship. It started here with Numbers chapter 6, God commanding Aaron and his sons. Now, Aaron was the family line from which the priests will come, the full-time ministers in the Old Testament. They will come from the line of Aaron. And God commands Aaron and his sons to release his blessing upon the people. And God gives a very specific formula, the words for the benediction. He makes it very clear here in Numbers chapter 6. Now this, what we have here, is called the priestly benediction. It's also known as the Aaronic blessing. Aaronic blessing. If you read in Leviticus number 9... It describes Aaron pronouncing the benediction. It's very interesting. He lifts up his hands toward the people after presenting the animal sacrifices. So I don't think they had more tissues back then. And I don't know if Aaron got to wash his hands after he made these animal sacrifices. He puts up his hands probably full of blood or, or you know, stained with blood, which is also a reminder to the people what took place. And he lifts up his hands and he pronounces the benediction. Then in Leviticus 9, it says that Aaron and Moses went into the tent of meeting to encounter God. And then when they came out, they pronounced another blessing. And then it says that the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And then fire came down and consumed the animal sacrifices. And all the people saw it. They shouted. And then they fell on their faces. That's a powerful benediction. Amen. How many of you guys want to see a benediction like that here in New Philly? You know? Marcus, pastors Marcus and John Michael, they go into the presence of God. And they come out and say, we're ready to give the benediction. But are you ready for the fire of God to fall? You know, in the Old Testament, a lot of times, God will send his fire down on the animal sacrifices. The, the dead carcasses of the animals that were just sacrificed. But here's the thing. God still sends his fire today. It may not be on dead sacrifices. It's now on living sacrifices. So whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out upon God's people, or the fire of the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people, you know, an animal sacrifice, it's dead already. Fire comes on it, it just gets burned up. But when a living sacrifice experiences the fire of God, they don't just stand still. Sometimes they shake. Sometimes they cry. Sometimes they fall down. You start seeing the signs and wonders. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when the fire of God comes down on the people of God, they begin to manifest in supernatural signs and wonders. With tongues. With drunkenness. What looks like drunkenness. What people thought, well, are, are, these people are just drunk. But they must have appeared drunk for people to interpret it that way. When the fire of God comes on living sacrifices, sometimes it looks a little bizarre. And what we need to understand is, that's natural. We might think because of our evangelical Christianity, we didn't experience the Holy Spirit that way growing up. We might think that's bizarre. But you know what? If you were transported thousands of years ago to the Old Testament, watching Aaron like slit open a goat will probably look bizarre to you. And then watching the fire of God come down on the, and that, that goat will probably look bizarre to you. I, I think we have the less bizarre manifestation right now, <laughs> if you ask me. Fire of God coming on some people, you know? Anyway, that's not my message. Uh, 
Now, the tradition of benediction continued into the Jewish synagogue, and then the apostles continued the practice in the church. In fact, many of New Testament letters close with benedictions. Uh, I want us to look at the Aaronic blessing, the Old Testament priestly benediction. And I want us to kind of break down some elements here because it's very rich. Look at with me once again to Numbers chapter 6. Look at verse 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, Charles Spurgeon points out here that the word Jehovah, or the word, uh, or we sometimes pronounce it Yahweh, no one really knows what the correct pronunciation is, by the way. Because the Jews had a tradition of upholding the name of God as so sacred, they never said the name. So whenever they see Yahweh, they would always say Adonai, which means Lord in the Hebrew. Okay? So no one really knows how to pronounce it. But Charles Spurgeon points out that here the word Jehovah appears three times in the Aaronic blessing. And each time it appears in our English Bibles is translated L-O-R-D with, a, with small caps. You guys see that? In the NIV ESV, it should be L-O-R-D in the, with small caps. That's because it's translating how the Jews traditionally used to say it. They used to say Adonai, which means Lord. Anyway, that's actually representing Yahweh. And what's interesting here is Spurgeon says each time the word is mentioned, there's a different accent placed on the original Hebrew of the word Yahweh. Each time that it appears, there's a different accent. Uh, Now, perhaps it carried a specific meaning to the Old Testament priests. We don't know. But a lot of Christian scholars believe that this is a revelation of the Trinity. The benediction perhaps was foreshadowing the revelation of the glorious Trinity. So, for example, it could be seen as the Father bless you and keep you. The Son make his face shine, to make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Holy Spirit lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now let's break it down. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. You know, we can receive blessing from God, but we, we can also bless God. Uh, now, when we bless God, we attribute honor and good works to God. Uh, It says in Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, let everything within me bless His holy name. Some translations, like the NIV, will replace the word bless with the word praise. That's a little unfortunate because we have a Hebrew phrase for praise the Lord. What do we know that as? Hallelujah. Exactly. You're speaking Hebrew every time you say hallelujah because that means praise the Lord. But here in Psalm 103, where it says, bless the Lord in the more literal translations, it doesn't say hallelujah. It says, baraki nefesh et Adonai. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Or in other places, it just says, baruch Adonai. Bless the Lord. Somebody say, bless the Lord. Lord. We have the ability to bless the Lord, to ascribe to Him honor and, and, and praise and good 
thoughts and good words, you know? We can bless the Lord, but it is totally different when God blesses his people. To bless, according to the Holman Dictionary, means to fill with benefits. Either as an end in itself, or to make the object of blessing a source of further blessing for others. That's what the word bless essentially means. is to fill you with benefits. The Lord fill you with his benefits. The Lord fill you. May he bless you. And for us in the church, God the Father has blessed us in abundance. Amen? I mean, God has blessed us with creation, but he has also blessed us with a new creation. God has blessed us with life. Aren't you glad you're born? But he has also blessed you with new life, that we can be born again in Christ. God blesses us with physical food. But he also nourishes us with spiritual food from the word of God. God clothes us. How blessed we are that we are clothed today. That we can show up to church. And we had a dilemma on our hands. What do we wear to church today? You are blessed that you have that dilemma. Some people, they just got to wear whatever. But you, you are clothed. But how much more blessed that you're clothed in robes of righteousness. It is a blessing to grow up in a loving and happy family. But it's also an incredible blessing to be adopted into the family of God. Amen? Amen. God sets the lonely in families. It is a blessing. We are blessed to have our sin forgiven, Christ's righteousness imputed, and the work of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us through and through. Even as we speak... Even if you're not aware of the process, there's a sanctification that's happening inside of you. You are growing stronger in your faith. You are maturing. Your character is being shaped to reflect the image of Christ. You are blessed. So when the benediction is given, the Lord bless you, we ought to say in our hearts, the Lord has blessed me indeed. Now, a lot of times when we hear the benediction, we're going... The Lord bless you. Oh, yeah, yeah, Lord bless me. Lord bless me with a uh, husband. Bless me with a new car. Bless me. Lord, I, give me your blessing. We're thinking about, Lord, give me, give me, give me. But we ought to also stop and think, well, the Lord has blessed me indeed already. We've got to do this from time to time. Why? Because this will keep our faith full of expectancy that God will continue to bless some people in, in the room, you might be saying to yourself, well, I'm not blessed. I don't feel blessed. I'm facing so many trials right now. I suffered this terrible loss, and I'm just grieving. Or I'm being discriminated against in my workplace because of my faith. I don't feel blessed. I feel like the whole world is against me. I feel like God is against me. What's going on? I don't feel blessed. Well, before you keep listening to the devil and his deception, listen to the words of truth from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and wangtai you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Wangtai just means being isolated away from, uh, yeah, by yourself. Anyway, that's a Korean term. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Don't let the devil steal your joy. Just because you're going through some affliction does not mean that you're not blessed. Jesus makes it clear. You go through some of this stuff, especially for the gospel's sake, for the righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Rejoice and be glad. The Bible says that God is working all things out for your good. Amen? Even through our trials and afflictions, God is working things out to bless us. There's an old saying that goes like this. This will set my heart at rest. What my God appoints is best. Sometimes we don't understand God's ways. What we have to understand and trust is that God is always good. And that he is blessing us. And he's working all things out for our good. Amen? Though you may face some momentary affliction in this upcoming year. And you know what? As your pastor, let me prophesy. You might face a little bit of trouble in the new year. If I told you it's going to be all dilly-dally, is that what people say? I don't, I don't even use that term. <laughs> if I told you that it's just going to be blessing after blessing and blessing according to how you define blessing, I will be lying to you. I don't know what the future holds. All I know is God's blessings come in different packages. And sometimes his greatest blessings can come into come to us in packages that cause us a little discomfort and pain. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, though you are facing momentary affliction, it is preparing for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And speaking of trouble, the benediction goes on to read, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord keep you. You know, although we may face various trials, the book of James says, consider pure joy when you face various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance works toward our maturity and completion. Do you want to reflect the image of Christ in a perfect way, in a complete way? If you want to reflect the image of Christ in its completion, then you're going to have to go through some stuff. Your faith is going to need to be tested. But God promises us in his word that even though we go through tribulation and trial and affliction, that he will keep us. The Lord bless you and keep you. Isaiah 43 verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I mean, this is uh, exactly what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They walked through that fire. And when they came out, there was not even a, a hint of smoke on their body or on their clothes. Isn't that amazing? The promise of God. I'm going to keep you. You make a stand for my kingdom. Don't worry. I'll work this out for your good. I'm going to keep you. 
Psalm 91, there, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. The Bible also says elsewhere, you shall come out of the wilderness leaning on your beloved. Amen? I mean, if you go through some affliction, you go through a season of wilderness, when you come out, you need to be leaning on your beloved, not pushing him away. Amen? The Lord will not only keep you in the afflictions you might go through, the Lord is also going to keep you from stumbling into sin. The Bible says in the book of Jude, God, he will present you faultless and with great joy on the day of his coming. Faultless and with great joy. You see, there's a keeping power of God. There's a message I preached about the keeping power of God. A lot of times we focus our minds on the transforming power of God. And so when somebody gets up here and they say, I used to be a drug addict. I used to be a womanizer. And now I'm free from that. And now I'm living free from all that bondage. Everybody's like, oh, hallelujah. We celebrate the transforming power of God. But if somebody comes up here and says, I received Christ when I was 12 years old. And I've never smoked weed. I've never stepped into a club. Um, i just been walking with the Lord faithfully. Everybody's like, <laughs> we, don't, we don't often celebrate those testimonies. You know, you know that's my testimony. And I, I, I received Christ when I was 12 years old. I never smoked weed. I have stepped into about seven clubs. That's just all my freshman year of NYU, okay? It was just one semester. But I didn't do nothing crazy or shady during that time. I was trying to rescue my, uh, my female friends from the clutches of, of evil men. Why, Mary, why are you in disbelief? I'm telling you the truth right now. I used to rescue all my female friends. And, you know, there were some, there were some like, evil people at NYU, evil upperclassmen. Remember one time this, this Indian dude was targeting my Chinese friend and was like, come over, I'm, I'm going to buy you some drinks at the bar. And so she goes over and she's like all laughing with him. Next thing you know, he's like giving her, giving her all these like weird... Um, um, drinks with like beer and like a shot of whiskey or something and just drops it in and they're all laughing, giggling. She's drinking and she's just like losing control. She was all drunk but after like one drink and he, he was all like, I want you to just come, come home with me. And I, I stepped in. <coughs> I said, hey, hey, she's with us. And he's like, who are you? And he's much taller than me. And I said, uh, my name's Christian. And uh, she's with me. And uh, at that time, I was working out, so I was a lot more buff. I had more confidence. <laughs> Even though he was taller than me, I was about to take him down. And so I was like, yo, 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 yo Christine, let's go, let's go, let's go. And so I pulled her out, and then she was like, wow, I was having such a good time. Are you crazy, girl? <laughs> you lost your mind. You don't know where she's going to take you. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. We oftentimes focus on the transforming power of God, but we forget about the keeping power of God. God is able to keep you from stumbling. That's what the, the, word, the book of Jude says. He's able to keep you from stumbling. So stop thinking in your mind, I'm going to stumble, I'm going to stumble, I'm going to stumble, I've got to be careful, I'm going to stumble. No, you keep thinking that way, it's going to be done according to your faith. you got to start to believe there's power, there's grace on my life to keep me from stumbling. I can walk in holiness. I can walk in purity. I can walk in victory to all the days of my life. Because the Holy Spirit is in me. The grace of God is upon me. 
You have to start thinking different. The Lord bless you and keep you. And then the benediction goes on. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Now, what does it mean for the Lord to make his face shine upon you? What does that mean? The Lord make his face shine upon you. Well, have you ever had a conflict or strife with a spouse, with a family member, with a friend? What oftentimes happens? When you have beef, you have strife, you have unresolved conflict, the last thing you want to see is their face. And the last thing you want them to allow you, for you, for you to allow them to see is your face. So I talked about this at Hillside. Back in the late 90s, there used to be this popular thing that people used to do. They used to say, talk to the hand. <laughs> what was that essentially about? It's about, you have lost favor with me. I can't believe you offended me with what you said back there, what you did back there. You don't even deserve to look at my, talk to the hand. <laughs> Everybody used to do it. Everybody used to do it. So when God makes his face to shine upon you, that means that you have reconciliation with God. That things are good between you and God. F.F. F. Bruce, a scholar, says, Just as the light of the sun brings blessing to men naturally, so the light of God's face brings grace and favor spiritually. For God to shine his face upon you, it's like the sun shining its rays upon a plant. You know, if you ever take a plant, take a flower or something, and you face it away from the sun, away from the window. You come back later in the day, you'll be amazed. Nobody turned that plant around, but the plant will be facing the sun. Yeah. Why? Because when the plant gets nutrients in the soil and water, that's not enough for that plant to grow. That plant needs the sun. The sun uh, puts into effect all these uh, biological bot botany uh, processes that helps the plant to grow. It's the same with us in our Christian life. We not only need the teaching of God's word and, and being watered and given good soil. We also need a sense of God's grace on our lives. God's love, his nearness, his, his face shining upon us. If you don't feel that, if you don't feel like God's face is shining upon you, you feel like God's hand is just against you. God's like, talk to the hand. If that's what you feel, you're not going to grow in your Christian life. You need to feel the nearness of God through Him shining His face upon you. It's a beautiful imagery that the benediction is giving us here. And this picture of nearness and favor really is a result of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus through the cross is able to reconcile us to God. The Bible says that because of our sin and because we are sinners that the wrath of God was destined to be poured out against us. We were destined to hear depart from me you who are cursed. But because of Jesus' shed blood we are now destined to hear, come, you who are blessed. Amen? 
It's the ministry of Jesus that gives us this reconciliation with God so that God can now make his face shine upon us. This is good news. This is good news that we can look up to heaven, look up toward God, and you don't ever have to feel any fear. You know, you may think that God is angry with you, but the Bible tells us that legally, legally, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Legally, God has not even a single thought of malice or anger or displeasure in his heart toward anyone who puts their trust in Jesus. He ain't mad at you. The only reason that you feel a sense of condemnation from heaven is because your faith is not focused on the word of God. Or your faith is too weak to believe the word of God. But if you are in Christ, the Bible says there is now no condemnation. Now, I do want to make a, a little parenthetical mention here that if you're living in sin, or you're sinning in a big way, you're taking bribes, you're involved with extortion, you're involved with continuous sexual immorality. If you're living in sin, legally, legally, there's no condemnation for you. But God may be angry with you. He may even discipline you if you keep going that way. Some preachers don't like to preach this part. But it's in the Bible. Even if you're positionally, legally right with God, you start messing with all kinds of idolatry. You start messing with all kinds of immorality. And God will get angry with you. He may even discipline you. But if you repent and you turn from your ways, that anger is just temporary. It says in Psalm chapter 30 verse 5, that God's anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Amen? You know, some people think that God's favor lasts only for a moment, but his anger lasts a lifetime. No, you got it all wrong. Through the blood of Jesus, God has become your father. And he wants to show favor and grace upon you. He doesn't want to see you living in sin and disobedience. That just separates you from his love. That makes you feel estranged and alienated from deep fellowship with him. <clears throat> the benediction goes on and says, The Lord lift up his countenance. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Everybody say peace. peace. The, shalom, the Hebrew word here is shalom. Everyone say shalom. Now, shalom is a little different than the English word peace. Shalom was a holistic term. It's like the equivalent of the Korean word well-being. <laughs> you guys know well-being? Right, it's like a popular thing to say in Korea. Like, this is a well-being product. You, know, you buy this and your whole body and your, all your relationships, it will be in well-being. Like shalom carried that kind of meaning, well-being. It was holistic. Shalom meant peace for your relationships, peace for your soul, peace for your mind, freedom from fear and anxiety, peace for your physical body, that your, your whole physical body will be in health. Shalom encapsulated that. In the English word, we say peace, you know, it's just like peace, yeah, peace, you know, peace in the Middle East, peace. 
But in the Hebrew, the word peace, shalom, has a lot more of a richer meaning. Now, the benediction says, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God wants to give you peace. He wants the world to experience his peace, his shalom. But here's the problem. Because of our sin, you don't have peace with God. And when you don't have peace with God, it don't matter where else, where, what else are you going to experience. Like in any area of your life, you're not going to feel peace if you don't have peace with your maker. You don't have peace with a God who created you with a purpose. And so what does God do? God sends his son, dies on the cross, resurrects from the dead. Jesus pays the penalty that was due for our sin and our rebellion. And God subdues our rebellion and reconciles us to God. He not only forgives our sin, but he clothes us with righteousness and gives us a new identity. He doesn't just say, you're, for, you're a forgiven sinner. No, he says, you are a holy one. You are a saint. Hagias. You are a saint. Tell your neighbor, you are a saint. You know, it's popular in some evangelical churches. Their mantra is, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a wretched sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm going to stumble. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a wicked sinner. And I'm just so thankful for his grace. And that's the emphasis that they feel like they need to make, perhaps because of the teaching and the system of teaching that they give. But I don't necessarily think that that's what we find in the New Testament. When Paul addresses the churches, what does he address them as? To the sinners in Galatia? <laughs> to you immoral people in Corinth? I know what y'all are doing over there. Nasty people. Nasty people in need of God's grace at Ephesus. No. Even though he knew about the immorality at Corinth, even though he knew about the faults and weaknesses going on in some of these cities, when he addresses the church, he calls them by their new identity. To the holy ones, to the saints in Ephesus. To the saints at New Philadelphia. We got to start seeing ourselves according, not to our old nature, but to our new nature. We are a new creation, amen? amen. If, you're cruci- if you are in Christ, you're crucified with Christ. You no longer live. You, there's a new life. There's a new creation that has risen up inside you. And that's the identity that we should own and talk about. Now, does that mean that we don't fall and we don't stumble and we don't sin? No. But it's a, it's a different emphasis. There's a different focus. And it's not a focus that gets us so prideful that we don't need God's grace or we don't call on God's grace. It just establishes us in our new identity. God sent his son Jesus not only so that you can experience peace this week, not only so 
that the Jewish nation would experience peace for 50 years, 60 years. Now, in the Old Testament, that was the experience of the, of the nation of Israel and later on of the Jewish people. They only experienced peace temporarily. It would be like a decade, uh, 30 years, 40. They never got, remember, they never got to the year of Jubilee, which is 50 years. Because they kept going astray. They kept turning toward idols. And so whenever this benediction was given, the Jews longed for the day when that shalom peace will be permanent. So what the Old Testament prophets prophesied is there will come a day when God would establish his kingdom and his king will sit on that throne and the increase of his government will know no end and he will be called Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. The Jews heard these prophecies about a Messiah that's to come that will sit on the throne of David, that will rule with an iron scepter. He will rule the nations. And so when Jesus came and started doing all these miracles, and people said, is this the son of David? Is this the Messiah? Is this the one that was prophesied about? Even his 12 apostles thought the same thing. They thought, this is the Jesus, this is the Messiah that's going to sit on the throne of David and be a political ruler. And he's going to usher in for the Jewish people a golden age like, the, the, like they experienced under King David. That's what they were expecting. And that's what they thought was happening with Jesus. Because when they would hear that benediction, they were longing for the day when that shalom peace will be everlasting. And they thought the Messiah would help make that happen. Unfortunately, I don't believe that they were wrong about the prophecies. I think they were just wrong about the application. See, if you guys know about my end time series, I preached it in the, in the spring. If you want to know where uh, New Philly stands with the end times uh, theology, end times doctrine, go check out my end time series. I don't think the Jews were completely off about these prophecies of a golden age. Prophecies where the Messiah would take his throne. It was just a misapplication. It was just a misapplication. They thought that this would take place at the Messiah's first coming. They didn't know that they will be a Messiah's second coming. And so they thought it would happen at the first coming. And so they're thinking, Jesus, you got to go to Jerusalem. And now you're going to go in there. And you're going to throw off the Roman authorities. You're going to hack Herod's, Herod's head, head off just like he hacked off John the Baptist's head. You're going to go on there and you're going to start to rule like David ruled. And Jesus is like, in a few days... The Son of Man will be rejected and be crucified. And on the third day, I will rise again. And the Bible tells us that Peter took Jesus aside. Jesus, can I have a word with you? Jesus, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, we need to talk. Jesus, this is, this is bad PR. Why are you teaching this crazy stuff? Look, the Messiah is supposed to sit on the throne. What are you doing? Jesus, Jesus, no, you can't go to the cross. I don't know what you're thinking there. All right, cross is for criminals. You're not a criminal. What are you doing? And Jesus rebuked him back and said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus didn't say, you know, like, you got it all wrong. There is no, there is no golden age. There, there is no time where the Messiah is going to send them. He didn't say any of that. He just said, this has got to be done first. The king is going to rule. The king of kings will rule. But he's going to rule through a people that have been redeemed. 
And there's a price to pay to redeem those people. There's a ransom that must be paid in full. I need to take care of that first. Now, um, the peace of God, the Bible says that uh, in Ephesians 2.14, it says, Jesus himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What the gospel pronounces, the benediction didn't get because it was veiled. The Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you his peace. The Jews long for the day when they will have everlasting peace. And the gospel begins to unveil what it really means to have peace. And the Apostle Paul says, Jesus himself is our peace. And he begins by subduing rebellion. He begins by making peace between you and God. You see, when you have, if you're a Christian in here, you have peace with God. That's awesome. You have peace with God. You can have peace in any area of your life. Your future marriage. Well, you got peace with God. You should have peace with your future marriage. Your job situation. I've been unemployed for six months. Look, you got peace with God. You can have peace about waiting on the Lord about this. See, when you have peace with God, There can be everlasting peace in every area of your life. In fact, peace, Jesus said, I'll give you my peace. It's a peace that the world does not understand, that the world doesn't know. Also in Philippians chapter 4, it says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Because you have Jesus, you now have everlasting peace, everlasting shalom inside of you. Amen? Now, That was the Old Testament priestly benediction. Let me show you a New Testament apostolic benediction. Okay, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. 13, 14. And you may have heard this being done at the end of a church service to do a benediction as well. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, actually that was a rich tradition that the Jews had. Whenever the benediction was given, the people of God responded, Amen. We need to do that here too. Amen? Amen. Why? Because when you say amen, what, what are you saying? Let it be so. Let it be. Let it be so. That is the truth. You know, in the Old New Testament, it says amen, amen. It's translated oftentimes, I tell you the truth. But in the Greek, it actually says amen, amen. It's verity, verity. Truly, truly. I tell you the truth. Let it be so. Amen, amen. Anyway, uh, when, we, when we close benediction, we should say amen and, and receive that and say you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. I receive that. Amen. The Lord give you his peace. I've been feeling anxiety this week, but you know what? Forget this anxiety. I receive his peace. Amen. Let it be so in my mind and my heart this week. Now, what you will notice in the New Testament apostolic benediction is there's a triune formula here. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, which oftentimes for the Apostle Paul meant the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, one thing you would notice here is that in the New Testament benediction, Jesus here is mentioned first. Isn't that interesting? We know from studying the Gospels that Jesus, functionally, he submits himself to the Father. So a lot of times when we talk about the Trinity, we talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Although they're co-equal, functionally we recognize that there is a submission that takes place between the Son and the Father. And so oftentimes we, we place the Father first. But here in the benediction, Jesus is first. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. A lot of postmodern religions today will tell you all the religions point to the same God. Jesus will tell you there's only one way to the Father, and that's through me. So the benediction is essentially preaching the gospel to you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, in the Old Testament priestly benediction, we saw that the Hebrew words Yahweh have different accents. And some Christian scholars think that that is alluding to or foreshadowing the revelation of the Trinity. Well, what was veiled in the Old Testament benediction is now in Christ revealed in the New Testament benediction. Old Testament was, had a benediction that was deep. But in the New Testament, we have a benediction that goes much deeper. Not only does it talk about the blessing of God, the keeping power of God, it talks about the peace. The New Testament benediction talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What's that talking about? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What's that word fellowship there in the Greek? Koinonia. Koinonia can also be translated communion, fellowship, or co-partnership. And so when it talks about the benediction says the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, that means that may you co-partner with Holy Spirit. May you experience whatever the Holy Spirit has. And the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Did I get all nine? Gentleness. Gentleness. I need gentleness. I need more gentleness. I always forget the gentleness. <clears throat> whatever Holy Spirit has, we get to fellowship. We get to experience too. Remember the Apostle Paul, when he talks about the fellowship he often talked about sharing our resources to those who are in need. That's true fellowship. Well, the Holy Spirit shares with us his resources for those who are in need. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The gifts of the Spirit be with you. The fruit of the Spirit grow in you. The peace of the Spirit abide with you. It's so rich. It's a rich meaning there with this benediction. And... Uh, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who, who is hanged on the tree. Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let me break that down for you real quick. Whenever the Jews heard the Aaronic blessing, the Old Testament benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you, what they heard was an echo of their father Abraham. You got to think like a Jew. If you're receiving the benediction every week as a Jew, you're thinking about the father of the Jews, Abraham, father of the Israelites. And what does God tell Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2? God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Do you guys just catch that? God said to Abraham, I will bless you. You are going to overflow with my blessing. But not only that. I'm going to make you a blessing. You're not just going to have blessing. You are blessing. I'm going to make you a source of blessing for all nations. So whenever the Jews heard the benediction, they were hearing echoes of the promise that God made to Abraham. And what the Apostle Paul is doing in Galatians chapter 3 is, he's saying that through the cross of Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham has come to the Scandinavians, to the Koreans, to the African Americans, to the Gentiles, so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Not only does it go to the Jews, but now the blessing of Abraham goes to the, all the nations. Wherever faith in Christ is found, the blessing of Abraham will now go. This is awesome. That's why in Galatians it talks about you are the seed. You are the offspring of Abraham and heirs according to that promise. We inherit Genesis 12 too into our lives. As the church, we inherit Genesis 12 too. You are blessed, church, to be a blessing. Not only for you to have blessing, but to be blessing. Say, I am blessing. I am blessing. I am a blessing. I am the blessing. I don't know. Whatever works, right? Now, I'm going to close with something real interesting here. In the book of Luke, chapter 1. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, it talks about an interesting story. There's a high priest that year. His name was Zechariah. And he goes into the temple to do his priestly duties. Goes into the most holy place, into the inner courts. And he has a rope on his uh, foot, a little bell there. They, they always had a little bell there. And if they didn't hear the bell for a while, that meant you're dead. The high priest is dead. Then you, you drag the high priest out with the rope. So if the high priest didn't follow all of the ceremonial duties, sometimes God would just strike him dead. Anyway, he goes in to do his priestly duties, and an angel meets him there. And the angel said, you is old, your wife is old, but you're going to have a child in your old age. And this child is going 
ahead in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to sons. Now this is alluding to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, where God says before the great and dreadful day of the Lord's coming, Elijah will go forth and turn the hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers. The angel Gabriel tells Zechariah, you're going to have a child. You are to name this child John. And this child is going to prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Now, uh, because Zechariah hesitated or he had some unbelief in his heart, he asked like a simple question. And it wasn't even like, he, was, he wasn't even guilty of anything big, but you know, he just asked a simple question. Uh, to, to Gabriel. He says, how should I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Angel Gabriel is like, I know that. I know you is old and I know she is old. You know what? I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. You know what? Behold, you will be silent until the day these things are fulfilled in their time. So here's the interesting thing. The high priest Zechariah comes out of the temple and everybody's like, all right, all right. You got to close the service now. Now, how do the Jews close the service? With a benediction. So Zechariah's like. <laughs> and they're like, Zechariah, stop playing around. Give us the benediction. I want my benediction today. And Zechariah lifts up his hands, trying to give a benediction. He can't talk. And everybody's like, what is going on? And so that day, everybody went home thinking, what a bizarre thing. It's the first time I went to church. First time I went to synagogue and I didn't hear a benediction. What is going on? And Charles Spurgeon said it like this. God seemed, as it were, to give notice to his people. I am about to hush the voice of Aaron because Melchizedek is coming. I am about to stop the sound of the symbolic because the real priest is coming. I am about to hush the voice of Zechariah because the Son of God is now to appear and declare that the fullest blessing of Jehovah will rest upon his people. What we thought was just Zechariah's unbelief was a powerful prophetic act in which God's, God was pretty much foreshadowing the blessing, the everlasting peace that we would enjoy in Christ. He was foreshadowing that through the benediction being given every single time there was service. And then the time there is no benedictions given. There was no benediction that day because the fullness of time, the kairos, the appointed time had come for Jesus the one who will fulfill the fullness of the benediction. He was about to arrive on the scene. And he was about to establish his kingdom and give his people everlasting peace. And for them to begin to walk in their identity, that they are blessed to be a blessing. You know, some of you in here today, you might say to yourself, well, I don't feel like a blessing. 
know, a lot of times I just feel like I'm a burden to people. I just feel like a loser. What am I doing with my life? Now my parents tell me all the time, what are you doing with your life? They make me feel like I'm just, just a loser. What am I doing? I don't feel blessed. I feel like I'm cursed. And wherever you feel that, the benediction is given in the house of God every week to remind you, you are blessed. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Brother, sister, whatever you're going through, don't let the devil deceive you. You are blessed. Affliction, you are blessed. Persecution, you are blessed. Can't find your husband yet? You are blessed. God's making your patient wait. He's achieving for you a far greater glory. Hey, hey we don't all have to have marriages in our youth. You know, God may have very creative ideas of what a good marriage can look like. The book of Ruth. Ruth was a widow. Boaz was an old dude. Ruth, Ruth the widow, Boaz the old dude. In our minds, we wouldn't have made them hook up. We wouldn't have even set them up on a date. But God said, well, you think the only kind of marriage that's blessed is between two young people? Let me show you a beautiful marriage right here that's blessed. And Ruth, a widow, marries Boaz, old dude, old rich dude. <laughs> but that's why all the, all, all the sisters, it comforts them. Huh? I don't know about some old dude, but I'm okay with the old rich dude. Where's my Boaz at? <clears throat> no matter what you're going through, the benediction constantly is there to remind you and to pronounce to you. You are God's people. You are redeemed in Christ. And you are blessed to be a blessing, a source of blessing to all nations. And God has confirmed this by putting his spirit in you. The Holy Spirit being in you and filling you is the eschatological sign. It's the end time sign. That God has indeed fulfilled the promises of the benediction. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want you to close your eyes. And, uh, I, you know, I don't get to come to Eton one a lot. So I want to, Aaron and I want to take some moment, take some time. I want to pray for a few people. If you're in here and you are not a Christian or you grew up in church, but you never made that personal commitment to put your faith in Christ and to be his disciple. I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. Talk to one of our pastors. Talk to one of our leaders and make right with God. Be at peace with God. Because if you think you can just come to church and try to take some of the Christian teachings here and apply it there and you think you're going to have peace in your heart over all the anxiety you're struggling with, you're totally wrong. It doesn't work like that. 
You want peace everlasting in your soul. You got to have peace with God first. And Christ has made the way. But you got to humble yourself and throw yourself at the mercy of the cross. Throw yourself at the foot of the cross and give him your all. If you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you. Talk to one of our pastors. Talk to one of our leaders. You know, I heard the story this morning of one of the mothers of one of our church members. Grew up in church. And she just received Christ last week at one of our community groups. She said, oh, this is cute. My son's life has been transformed by this church. Let me go check it out. Oh, I like this church. I like the pastor. I'm going to keep coming out. And as she has continued to come out, and she just tried to apply the moralistic teachings, whatever, of the house, she realized, man, I need to make right with God. This Christianity thing is the, is, is the real deal. And she realized that she had not made right with God. She was not at peace with God. And so she made a personal decision to put her faith in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? But, you know, there's people in here you don't really know Jesus personally yet. You just know the religion. But you have not encountered the living God. Some of you, you've grown up in church and you've made a personal decision to receive Christ. But you've never experienced the love of God. Like you know the concepts. But you've never felt experientially the love of God. And in my study of the Paul, Pauline letters from my class last semester, one thing you will understand about Paul's letters is Paul had a very particular theology. And it was a Holy Spirit-centric theology. And in it, he talked about the importance of the Christian experiencing the love of God through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, some people in the charismatic movement, they just think the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's only to equip us to do missions, equip us to do evangelism. But in the Apostle Paul's doctrine, he understood that this experience of the outpouring of the Spirit was key to assurance of salvation. You know, some of you guys have all kinds of Bible studies about assurance of salvation, but you still are shaky inside. And that may be because you've never experienced the outpouring of the Spirit. The outpouring of God's love into your hearts by the Spirit. When that happens, people begin to make a stand for Jesus. People begin to be solid in their faith. Because they realize, man, God loves me. I feel his love. This is not just a theory. This is not just a religious belief. I feel him right here in my heart. This invisible spirit of God is just hovering over me, wrapping me with the arms of love. Some people describe God's love as this liquid. It was like liquid love being poured out over my head. I can't describe it any other way, but it's just liquid love pouring out over my head. And they're never the same again. Today, I want to invite you. Today, I want to invite you. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3, that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit. Some of you in here, you have received Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells you. He is inside of you as a deposit guaranteeing to come. 
guaranteeing the eternal life that's to come, but you've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, that fire of the Holy Spirit that comes to consume what's on the altar. Problem with Old Testament, when there were sacrifices in the altar, they didn't move anywhere. But the problem with living sacrifices is they oftentimes move off the altar. They don't stay on the altar. They say, Jesus, I give you my all. Lord, I surrender my whole heart to you. But then they just crawl right off that altar. I believe that God today, he wants you to make a fresh commitment to him. Renew your heart's commitment. Just surrender your all to him. Trust in his wisdom and leading. And then ask the Lord, fill me with your spirit. Consume me with your fire. I want to be blessed to be a blessing. If that's you, I want you to stand up to your feet.